0: Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Gosh, it's not too hot. I thought it was going to be absolutely roasting in here this morning. So enjoy it while it lasts, guys. Right. Wise up. Well, I think that I've got the best subject to talk to you about this morning because I have got the subject of money. Andrew and I love the subject of money because we have got so many stories, probably more stories than about anything else in our spiritual life about how God has been faithful in the area of finances. And I'm gonna tell you at the back end of my talk a little bit of our story. So a mental health foundation study recently found that building money skills and seeking financial support when you need it are some of the most important things that you can do to maintain good mental health. And that's why we're talking about this. The picture of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, is about a father and he speaks in a really no-nonsense way to his son. It's about one generation passing on the accumulated wealth to the next generation. And of the 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, you will find wisdom about work, money, generosity, or debt in 21 chapters. So you might feel that when you were growing up, you had loads of input, loads of wisdom given to you about the subject of money, and you would have absorbed values and cultures and beliefs from your family background. but equally, you might feel that like your parents didn 't talk to you very much about money, and you actually didn 't grow up knowing what a biblical view of money was. and so we 're here to help. So as we start, I've got two questions to ask you and I would love you to keep a mental note of your score and where you think you are kind of on this spectrum. So on a scale of one to ten, where one is you really, really disagree with this statement and ten is you strongly agree, where would you rank yourself? I understand the world of personal finances and I have the skills and knowledge and habits to trust God and do really well in this area of life. Where would you rank yourself? Just keep that number in your head. And then on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is really peaceful and 10 is really very stressed, where, where do you find yourself now? Now, if on that first one you um, disagree, like you don't feel that you have those skills, we would strongly suggest that you find some godly, wise and generous 8 to 10s in the room, and there are lots of them here, and ask them to mentor you, because this is an area that we can really learn. So what's your starting point today? You might be stressed out. You might be in debt, you might be financially really literate, you might be able to be really generous. The context at the moment is hard. We know it is. The the financial backdrop is super volatile right now. The cost of living has gone up dramatically. We've had a decade of historically really low interest rates and that's been really great for people with a mortgage but it's not been really good for people who want to save. And there's heaps of really good practical wisdom out there. Martin Lewis and um, the self-help stuff that you can find are brilliant, but we're not talking about life hacks today. We want to talk about having a life centred on Jesus, trusting him with everything, and that includes our money. So let's start by reading from Proverbs 3, and then I'm going to pray as we start this off. Proverbs 3 Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. God, this is an area where we get to trust You. This is a space that can stress us out, and we bring it to You this morning, God. We want to submit to You. We submit everything that we think and feel and our background. And where we're at, we submit to you, Father God, because you care for us and you want us to learn wisdom and understand truth in this area. Amen. So the goal here is to place the wisdom of Jesus at the very core. And that might mean that you have to displace previous assumptions, previous habits, previous beliefs that you have had growing up. Now, if you're young, if you're a student, if you're a young adult... I would really, really encourage you to get your financial foundation straight right at the beginning and learn to apply God's word to every area of your life, particularly this one. And for everyone else, I would say our goal is that everybody would be moving towards being a 10. That every single person in our church communion would be confident to say, I understand the world of personal finances and I have the skills and the knowledge and the habits to trust God and do really well in this area of life. So a little reminder about Proverbs. Proverbs sets out wise principles and life probabilities. Basically what it's saying is, if you consistently walk in this direction, you're more likely to end up here. But if you consistently walk in this direction, you're more likely to end up over there. Proverbs speaks that the life of wisdom is made up of simple, step-by-step decisions that accumulate over time. And it speaks to us about the character of God, and his promises, and his faithfulness to us. So there are heaps and heaps of things that the book of Proverbs shows us about the subject of money. And they're going to come up on the screen in just a second. There we go. Uh, You'll be glad to know I'm not going to deal with every single one of those, but we're going to jump around a little bit um, and look at various different Proverbs and... um, focus on about half of those so firstly God is the source God is the source of our provision and our security he is not the source of your bank balance Rick Warren said this of money he said don't love it or live for it don't trust it for security don't expect it to satisfy it all belongs to God and he is using it to train me to trust I think that's great then when we look in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 11, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Or Proverbs 18, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, they imagine it a wall too high to scale. You see, if you're wealthy, you could fall into the trap of believing that your money will provide security and peace for you. In contrast, the life that we're looking for is a life of faith, which frees us up from the pressure that it's all about us, that our future is in our hands, that we have to work super hard and put in all our effort to make it. No. As followers of Jesus, God is our good shepherd. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is God, our provider. He provides for us. He provides wisdom for the journey. That's in here. And ultimately, he is the source of our provision our security and peace. So we put God first in everything. So just after those verses in Proverbs 3 that we read a minute ago about trusting the Lord with all of our hearts, comes this next instruction. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. In the message version, it says, give him the first and the best. So what does it mean, practically, to put God first in your life? Well, I want to give you five things that we need to put God first in, and helpfully, they begin with the letters F, I, R, S, and T. So, I mean, that's great, isn't it? I have to say I nicked it. I nicked it from someone else. Finances. If you want God to bless your finances, then put him first in your finances. Give him what's right and not what's left. Interests, put Him first in your hobbies, in your career. Give God first consideration in all your decisions. Relationships, if you want God to bless your relationships, put Him first in your friendships and in your family. Your schedule, if you want God to bless your week, give Him the first day of the week and the first part of every day. And in your troubles, turn to God first when you have a problem. Prayer should be your first report not your last resort. Then, be productive. Now, I'm not gonna restate. John and Catherine last week did a fantastic job on talking about um, productivity and work and discipline. and I'm not going to go over all that again, so do check out their talks if you didn't hear them. But there is so much in Proverbs about work. Work is really commended. In Proverbs 10 and verse four, it says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. But there is also a caution in this. Proverbs 23 and verse 4, do not weigh yourself out to get rich. Don't trust your own cleverness. Some of us don't think that we're very clever at all and I don't think my own cleverness would ever make me rich. But we're not to trust in that. We're not just called to follow our dreams either. That feels like discipleship according to Disney. Rabbi Daniel Lapin puts it really well in his book. He wrote Business Secrets from the Bible and he says this, do something that you're good at That benefits others work is not always about doing what you want to do work is about serving others well there is only one way to make money figuring out what other people want or need and then providing those things to as many of our fellow humans as possible this is the only way to earn money no matter your occupation and John Wesley said famously earn all you can give all you can and save all you can. Which leads really nicely to my fourth point, have a plan. Proverbs 27 and verses 23 to 25 say this, Be sure that you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. So I don't know how many of you have flocks or herds. I've got a small herd of a cat, but that's about it. In this passage, flocks and herds represent assets. So what are your assets? What assets do you have? Assets are your skills, your salary, your benefits, a bonus for overtime that you've done. It might be an inheritance. It might be a tax rebate. It's all the resources that God has put at your disposal. It's everything that comes in and everything that God has given you to manage. And so there are a few different things that we can do to um, help us have a plan for what to do with our assets. Firstly, live within your limits and spend less than you earn. In many Jewish families, parents teach their children this, give 10%, save 10%, invest 10%, and live on 70%. I can see a bunch of you totting it up on your fingers and going, so that means I'd have to give that much. Gosh, there wouldn't be much left. But actually, Jewish wisdom, some of the Jewish families are the most financially literate and the most economically wealthy families that there are. Secondly, have a written plan, a financial plan. An alternative word for a financial plan is a budget Our job is to manage what God has provided us and exercise appropriate control over our resources. I love this quote I found a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. (laughs) By way of illustration, every pound that you have is like a soldier in your army, and you need to imagine yourself as the general telling it what to do. So here are 10 of my foot soldiers. And it is my job to tell these ten foot soldiers what to do and where to go. Now, you might wish that you had more soldiers in your army, but for now, we have the number that we have, right? So what will you do with them? Are you going to have discipline in the ranks of your army? Or is there going to be anarchy? Are you a general sleeping on the job? Or do you have a really clear vision of what these foot soldiers are for? Because you might need to rally those troops for some expense that is looming. And so, your budget needs to direct your soldiers. It should cover your income, your core costs, all your spending for the entire year. A budget isn't about recording your spending, it's about deciding your spending in advance. You could use a pen and a paper, you could use a spreadsheet on your iPad, you could use an app, it doesn't really matter. The only and best budget tool for you is the one that you will actually use because you have to actually look at it. You have to have it on your device and then use it. I know plenty of people that say, yes, yes I've got a budgeting app. Yeah, but do you actually put any numbers in it? That's the best one. It only works if we monitor it. Now, uh, oh, and if you want some help in that area, we can help. We've got lots of resources. Now, if things are tight, it's really easy to see having more finances, having more foot soldiers as the solution. But there's a really well-known economic principle that most people expand their expenditure to match their income. It's called the income effect. And as our income increases, so our costs tend to increase. We get a bigger car, a bigger house, we go on a fancier holiday. We expand our spending to match our income unless we take real care not to. And here's a little bit of trivia for you. Did you know... Well, actually, back up a minute. How many times have have you thought oh, do you know what, if I just won the lottery, that would make it all okay. And think of all the things that you could do with all that lovely money. Well, close to half of all lottery winners file for bankruptcy within a decade of winning that windfall, It's shocking, isn't it? If you're not good at managing 20,000, you are not going to manage a lottery win because it's simply exactly the same principles, but just with more zeros on the end. Thirdly, know your your vulnerabilities. There are real practical and emotional aspects to handling our money well. Proverbs 21 and verse 20 says, There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Or put it another way, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Basically, we are to keep an eye on what we spend our money on. And the truth is that we are not as autonomous as we think we are. We're all really influenced by things like comparison, chemistry and coffee. Yes, coffee. Hang in there with me for a moment. Comparison. You might scroll social media where everyone else seems to be having a great time and you compare yourself to them and you want to keep up with their latest new toy or their lifestyle. Chemistry. You might feel a bit flat and buy something to treat yourself. We've all done it. We give ourselves a little endorphin boost. We just take ourselves to the shop for a little treat, or we just buy a little thing that we can eat to make us feel better. And it does make us feel better for a little while. And impulse purchases are just the same. And then coffee. Well, you know what they say, you should never go food shopping on an empty tummy. Well, here's another one for you. An international study led by the University of South Florida, published in the Journal of Marketing, that caffeine Increases what you buy and how much you spend when shopping. They set up complimentary coffee bars at the entrance to supermarkets, and shoppers who drank a cup of caffeinated coffee before going in spent, and this is completely shocking, 50% more money, and they bought nearly 30% more items than shoppers who drank decaf coffee or water. That's scary. <laughs> yeah. It must get you a bit excited, and you must maybe the caffeine hypes you up a little bit. I don't know. Decaf next time, guys. We have to learn to exercise self-control. We have to know what are our financial black holes. What are the purchases that draw you in, the things that you find really hard to resist? Is it gadgets and gizmos? Is it socialising? Is it entertainment? Is it clothes? Is it beauty products? At the risk of sounding like my mother, Treats can easily become expectations. The things that we occasionally, like it used to be for me, a massive treat to go to a coffee shop and buy a latte. That was like, oh, it was a treat, it was something we used to do on our day off. But how easily does that become the general thing that we do when we're driving into work? Oh, you just swing by the drive-through, you just pick up your daily latte. And suddenly, the treats that used to be a high point, a little extra lovely thing, become something we become accustomed to. And then lastly, delayed gratification. Consistent small decisions compound over time. And that's true for both saving and spending. Benjamin Franklin said, beware of little expenditures, a small leak will sink a big big ship. We were talking about this as we were uh, preparing, and we were chatting to somebody in our church, and he was relaying a story about a place that he worked recently. And uh, his colleague, every summer, took three weeks off work for an epic summer holiday. And he paid for it out of his savings over the year, and his colleagues were super jealous every year. They're like, how did you afford that? And he explained, every single day, he makes himself a cheese sandwich and he drinks water that he brings from home in a flask. That costs him 57p a day. Must be expensive bread, I reckon. But anyway, 57p a day, that was what it was. And his colleagues bought a meal deal and a takeaway latte. That's £7 a day, five days a week, 47 weeks a year. The colleague who goes on the epic holidays, he spent £133.95 per year on his lunch versus his colleagues who spent more than £1,600 per year. It was a difference of £1,511 a year. And I dare say that that colleague, if he was doing that in one area of his life, was probably doing it in lots of different areas of his life. You see, the benefit of having a plan is that we get to decide what's important. We can plan our giving, our saving. We can appropriately enjoy things like leisure or a holiday or a meal guilt-free because we've thought about it in advance. We can plan for the unexpected and we can build in some contingencies. Next, deal with debt. Proverbs is really clear that the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. There is a power relationship in debt. And the general wisdom in the Bible is to avoid debt wherever we can. We are far better to save up and buy things outright in cash than to take out credit agreements and payment plans because we become indebted to people in the future. Buy now, pay later is simply getting into debt for something that's going to decrease in value. And what if our circumstances change? We are wise, according to Proverbs, to reduce our financial exposure for the future. Warren Buffett, one of the most wealthy men in the world, said this, avoid credit cards. Just forget about them. You can't make progress in your financial life borrowing at 18 to 20%. You can make a lot of money lending at that rate, but you won't make any financial progress. Now, the only debt we obviously can't avoid is a mortgage, and generally houses will appreciate over time. One thing we have been asked several times, Andrew and I, is if I'm in debt, should I give? You need to pray and you need to seek God. But one thing that we would say about that is if you talk to John Kirby, who is the leader of Christians Against Poverty, which is one of the largest debt counselling organisations, charities in the UK, he would say that when people consistently apply God's principles, including budgeting and planned giving, to all of their finances, it doesn't seem to make sense. They always get out of debt faster. So if you are in debt we know that that can feel overwhelming. It took a while to get there, probably, and so it will take a while to get out, but we we would love to help you. Ask for help, talk to your small group leader. We have people trained and we have organisations on hand who we partner with who would love to help you in that situation. Number six, saving, stewarding, and growing our resources. Proverbs says this, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money Little by little makes it grow. We are meant to make our money grow. Jesus is very clear about that in the Parable of the Talents. We're not meant to just save what's left after spending. We're meant to spend what's left after saving. We're meant to make that our plan. Even if you can just save a very little bit, try to create some financial margin. And the other thing about um, investing, saving, this is a huge topic, we could could talk about it for three weeks, but Proverbs 16 and verse 8, better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Probably one of the most effective things that you can do for this planet is to invest ethically. If you have savings or investments or you have a pension, you are growing your money for the future and that is a really good thing to do. But have you ever taken an interest in where it's invested? Do you even know where your pension is invested? Well, we should. As Christians, we should be taking an interest in things like that. We should know that. Don't outsource your conscience to your pension provider. It's an issue of justice. And we can make a huge difference by being really thoughtful about our saving, our spending, and our investments. The Bible also talks about diversifying our savings and investments. Ecclesiastes 7, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come up on the land. Spread it out. Spread it out. Anyway, I'm not going to go on any more about investments. We'll happily talk to you about investments if you want to. We were were chatting recently to a very dear gentleman in our church who is 79 and uh, he has turned his hobby over decades and decades, into an income stream for himself. It's wonderful. It's, it's just a sweet story. So Pete Spafford, John's dad, um, when he was a teenager, he had a budgie. And budgies were quite popular um, pets, apparently, when he was a teenager. Go figure. And uh, he realised that lots of people wanted budgies, and so he could probably make some money by breeding budgies. So he started breeding budgies. And my understanding is that Pete is still breeding budgies. Even at the age of 79, he's going to take loads of budgies down to London next week to sell them on. He also started a business selling budgie feed. He would buy budgie feed in large quantities and package it all up into little bags and sell bird food. His hobby provided him the deposit for his first house. It's amazing. You can be an entrepreneur, even with something as small as a budgie. Your hobby could have some value. You could turn it into an income stream. Richard Branson did a similar thing. He started with Christmas trees. And then apparently rabbits ate all the Christmas trees. So he started breeding rabbits instead. (laughs) Go figure. Enjoy what you have. I'm not going to go into um, learning to be content in all circumstances, but... That is another thing that comes over loud and strongly in Proverbs, that we are to be content and grow in generosity and share with those in need. That is going to be our subject for next week, so I'm not going to talk talk about it now. But what I do want to tell you is just a tiny little bit of our story. A number of people have challenged Andrew and I recently as we've talked about money. We've talked about it in private and in in personal conversations. Um, We... Uh, have a wonderful story personally of where God has blessed us in our finances let me give you a little window in my student years I started applying biblical principles I lived frugally I tithed my student grant and I worked really hard during my summer holidays to earn money when we got married I was on the minimum wage for a lawyer and frankly Andrew didn't earn very much Nearly everything that we had in our first home was either given to us or chucked out by somebody else, including our bed, which was 20 years old. And we had a £5 rule for every purchase, so neither of us would spend more than £5 without checking in with the other one. We never put the heating on or very rarely. Instead, we went to visit other people who did heat their houses. <laughs> and quite frankly, we were at one end of the spectrum in terms of frugal. We were, we were talking about this last night. We laughed our socks off. Do you know, our idea of a great night out was to get a Chinese takeaway for one. It was £4.90, as I remember, for one, or £4.70. And we would cook extra rice, because that was cheaper to do that, than to buy a meal for two. So we would split the meal for one we were very, very frugal. We lived on one salary and we saved the other. And after two years, we paid off a chunk of our mortgage and we made a decision when we first got married that we were going to increase our giving every single year. And some years, we managed to increase our giving by several percent and other years, we've only managed to increase our giving by a little percent. But every single year of our 28-year marriage, we have increased our giving. And honestly, we are so glad that we started out our life that way. Now, you might be saying, uh, well, it's all right for you because when you got married 28 years ago, you could buy a house for 45,000. And that's true. We could and we did. But we have seen more miracle stories in the area of money and provision than any other area of our life. And I think it's one of the reasons that our girls have a faith because they have seen the reality of God in all of life. And as we've poured over the scriptures and we've applied biblical principles and we've trusted God in our finances, we have learnt that you cannot outgive God. We did get on the housing ladder early, and our house has appreciated a lot, but we believe that, that that appreciation of our house was not just for us to benefit from. And so we've used the money that appreciated in our house. And we have had the joy on three different occasions now of being able to enable other people to buy houses by leveraging the appreciation in our house and giving people deposits for their properties. We've given them either long-term interest-free loans or we've just gone, do you know what, just give it back five years, ten years, it's really fine, this is about... A kingdom thing and we're not talking about our natural family either this is not our daughters this is people in God's family that we've been able to help and bless like that we really truly believe that we as God's people are blessed to be a blessing is there a risk Uh uh-huh of course there is but that's what it means to be part of God's family and I believe that there are dozens of people in this church who could do the same thing actually who want to do the same thing but just need a little bit of encouragement that it can be done. We can be God's kingdom people with wealth that God gives us but not for us and because I also think that there are dozens of people in our church family who need to be on the receiving end of that kind of help. The economy of God's kingdom is meant to look different we're meant to be generous, we're meant to be open-handed, we're meant to be able to trust God as the source. So when someone comes to you and they can't make ends meet, I want to be the person that goes, well, I can help you do that because it's not my money anyway. God gave it to me. And honestly, if all you're saving for is your own family, your own future, your own retirement, then I think that your vision's too small. There is so much more and there's so much joy and there is so much blessing and there is so much fulfilment in living a life that's a little bit on the edge with your finances and trusting God with it all and seeing his generosity and seeing his faithfulness. There is so much more to explore. And we're not done yet. We're going to do it multiple more times, helping people out. and We're talking big chunks, not 5,000s tens of thousands that God wants us to be able to give away. I'm going to sum up with a few little points. Really, you cannot understand God's wisdom about money unless you're prepared to accept a number of truths held in tension. And these are all in the Proverbs. You will probably acquire more money if you work hard and are full of wisdom. But if all you care about is getting more money, Proverbs says that you are the biggest fool. It's hard hitting. Secondly, it is wise to save money but don't ever think that money will give you real security. Thirdly, God gives you money because he is generous, but he is generous with you so that you can be generous with other people. And if you are generous with your money, God will likely be more generous with you. Wealth is more desirable than poverty, but wealth is not as good as righteousness, humility, wisdom, good relationships, and the fear of the Lord. Money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. And one day... I will give an account to God for what I've done with it. And lastly, money is a training ground for us to be able to trust God. It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of faith. Choose to believe that doing things God's way is the best way for you. So I'm going to stop there because I have literally just bombarded you with an awful lot of stuff about money. But I think that some of what I've said, and probably some of our story at the end will have It'll be niggling you. You'll be like, "What does that even look like?" And I think that the first thing we need to do is submit ourselves again to God. We need to just come open-handedly before Him and go, "God, I don't have all this sorted." Or maybe you maybe you want to say, "God, I don't have enough foot soldiers in my army." Or maybe you're saying, "God, I have got more foot soldiers than I need right now. I want to hear you about what I should like, where I need to be directing." those foot soldiers next. So can I encourage you all to stand before you fall asleep in the heat? And um, I think we should just come before the Lord and um, see what he wants to say to us. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.